Welcome once again to Mormon Monday. This is episode number four, and we're finally getting to the second verse of the Articles of Faith, where it says, We believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. So in the midst of teaching that we are only punished for our own sins, they come up with three distinct sections of their teaching. First of all, they admit that Adam's fall brings death into the world. And that God actually wanted death to happen. Uh, secondly, that they openly and actively have an age of accountability built into their theology. And then the punishment for sins in hell is endless. And I'm using air quotes here because endless doesn't mean endless in the Mormon scriptures. But we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. So let's look at what they say first about Adam's fall bringing death into the world. From the book Gospel Principles, some people believe Adam and Eve committed a serious sin when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, Latter-day scriptures help us understand that their fall was a necessary step in the plan of life and a great blessing to all of us. Because of the fall, we are blessed with physical bodies, the right to choose between good and evil, and the opportunity to gain eternal life. None of these privileges would have been ours had Adam and Eve remained in the garden. Basically, uh, as Brigham Young and several of the other presidents of the Mormon Church taught, if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten from the forbidden fruit, we wouldn't be here. It would just be Adam and Eve in the garden. I kind of find that hard to believe, especially when you read the creation account and God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth. You can't do that as just two people. Going through the scriptures, a few things to point out. Alma chapter 12, verse 22. Alma said to him, This is the thing which I was about to explain. Now we see that Adam did fall by partaking of the forbidden fruit according to the word of God. And thus we see that by his fall, all mankind became a lost and fallen people. Mosiah says in Mosiah 16, verses 3 and 4, For the wicked are carnal and devilish, and the devil has power over them. Yea, even that old serpent that did beguile our first parents, which was the cause of their fall which was the cause of all mankind becoming carnal, sensual, devilish, knowing good, evil from good, subjecting themselves to the devil. Thus all mankind were lost, and behold, they would have been endlessly lost were it not that God redeemed his people from their lost and fallen state. And then the book of Moses, chapter 6, has a couple of verses for us about Adam's fall bringing death into the world. Uh, verse 48, and Enoch said unto them, Because that Adam fell, we are, and by his fall came death, and we are partakers of misery and woe. Here loops back to the Gospel Principles quotation that we have physical bodies. We exist today because Adam and Eve fell. And then verse 59 of Moses chapter 6, That by reason of transgression cometh the fall, which fall bringeth death, and inasmuch as ye were born into the world by water and blood and the spirit which I have made, and so became of dust a living soul, even so ye must be born again into the kingdom of heaven, of water and of the spirit, and be cleansed by blood, 
even the blood of mine only begotten, that ye might be sanctified from all sin, and enjoy the words of eternal life in this world, and eternal life in the world to come, even in mortal glory. So here we also have God allowing this to happen so he can redeem and bring about eternal life for those who follow after him. And we'll speak about this in the next episode when we talk about the atonement being very limited. Let's move on to the second thing, the age of accountability. And now, now this is best summarized in the book of Moroni, chapter 8. And almost the entire chapter is on this subject of there being an age of accountability and that before that age, people are not accountable, they're not responsible, they're not punished for their sins. So Moroni chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. For if I have learned the truth, there have been disputations among you concerning the baptism of your little children. And now, my son, I desire that ye should labor diligently, that this gross error should be removed from among you. For, for this intent I have written this epistle. For immediately after I had learned these things of you, I inquired of the Lord concerning the matter. And the word of the Lord came to me by the power of the Holy Ghost, saying, Listen to the words of Christ your Redeemer, your Lord and your God. Behold, I came into the world not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The whole need no physician, but they that are sick. Wherefore, little children are whole, for they are not capable of committing sin. Wherefore, the curse of Adam is taken from them in me, that it hath no power over them. And the law of circumcision is done away in me. And after this manner did the Holy Spirit manifest the word of God unto me. Wherefore, my beloved son, I know that it is solemn mockery before God that ye should baptize little children. Behold, I say unto you that that behold, I say unto you that this thing ye should. Behold, I say unto you that this thing shall ye teach, repentance and baptism unto those who are accountable and capable of committing sin. Yea, teach parents that they must repent and be baptized, and humble themselves as their little children, and they shall all be saved with their little children. And their little children need no repentance, neither baptism. Behold, baptism is unto repentance, to the fulfilling of the commandments unto the remission of sins. But little children are alive in Christ, even from the foundation of the world. If not so, God is a partial God, and also a changeable God, and a respecter to persons. For how many little children have died without baptism? Wherefore, if little children could not be saved without baptism, these must have gone to an endless hell. Behold, I say unto you, that he that supposeth that little children need baptism is in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity. For he hath neither faith, hope, nor charity. Wherefore, should he be cut off while in the thought, he must go down to hell. For awful is the wickedness to suppose that God saveth one child because of baptism, and the other must perish because he hath no baptism. Woe be unto them that shall pervert the ways of the Lord after this manner, for they shall perish except they repent. Behold, I speak with boldness, having authority from God, and I fear not what man can do, for perfect love casteth out all fear. And I am filled with charity, which is everlasting love. Wherefore all children are alike unto me. Wherefore I love little children with a perfect love, and they are all alike and partakers of salvation. For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. Little children cannot repent, 
Wherefore it is awful wickedness to deny the pure mercies of God unto them, for they are all alive in him because of his mercy. And he that saith that little children need baptism denieth the mercies of Christ, and setteth at naught the atonement of him and the power of his redemption. Woe unto such, for they are in danger of death, hell, and an endless torment. I speak it boldly, God hath commanded me. Listen unto them and give heed, or they stand against you at the judgment seat of Christ. For behold, that all little children are alive in Christ, and also all they that are without the law. For the power of redemption for the power of redemption cometh on them all that have no law. Wherefore he that is not condemned, or he that is under no condemnation, cannot repent. And unto such baptism availeth nothing. But it is a mockery before God, denying the mercies of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, and putting his trust in dead works. Behold, my son, this thing ought not to be. For repentance is unto them that are under condemnation and under the curse of a broken law. And the first fruits of repentance is baptism. And baptism cometh by faith unto the fulfilling the commandments, and the fulfilling the commandments bringeth remission of sins. And the remission of sins bringeth meekness and lowliness of heart. And because of meekness and lowliness of heart cometh the visitation of the Holy Ghost, which comforter filleth with hope and perfect love, which love endureth by diligence unto prayer, until the end shall come, when all the saints shall dwell with God. This is Moroni speaking to his son Mormon about how children cannot possibly be sinners. I wonder how often Mormon got in trouble from Moroni before he reached the age of accountability. And how many times he got punished for doing earthly things that were against the rules. Because anyone with children know that they are not sinless. I love my kids. But they're not sinless. And, well, yes, according to Mormon doctrine, they have all reached the age of accountability and then some. So to get into this idea of the age of accountability, we look at the Doctrines and Covenants. Uh, doctrines and Covenants 20, verse 71. No one can be received into the Church of Christ unless he has arrived under the years of accountability before God and is capable of repentance. Honestly, this says, at face value, that no one can be a Christian until they have reached the age of accountability. Although, children before the age of accountability don't need Jesus, so they don't have to be Christian. Uh, we go on in Doctrine and Covenants 68, verses 25-27, through 27, uh, very much falling into the idea of many of the Reformed at the time of the Reformation. And again, inasmuch as parents have children in Zion or in any of her stakes which are organized that teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, and of baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, when eight years old, the sin be upon the heads of the parents. For this shall be a law unto the inhabitants of Zion or in any of her stakes which are organized. And their children shall be baptized for the remission of their sins when eight years old and receive the laying on of hands. So what is the age of accountability? Eight years old. And anyone who is not baptized at eight is less of a Christian, less of a Mormon than those that are. And to further clarify this, in the very last of the Doctrines and Covenants, right before they get to the official declarations of the last 
120 years. Doctrine and Covenant 137, verse 10. And I also beheld that all children who die before they arrive at the years of accountability are saved in the celestial kingdom of heaven. When Mormons talk about the celestial kingdom, as we'll get to it when we get to the afterlife in a couple of months, that is the highest level of heaven. So this would be what they would say Paul saw when he says he ascended into the third level of heaven. This is the topmost level that only the best of the best get to, and out of those then become gods for their own planets. But again, we'll talk about that more later. But all children before the age of eight are guaranteed access into the highest heaven as long as they die before they're eight. I grew up in a church that taught the age of accountability as well, and I didn't quite get it then. I still don't quite get it now. Again, you who have children, did you not hold them accountable for things before a certain age? Now, maybe they were less accountable for some things when they were younger, because they were still learning not to touch a hot stove, not to go run out in the street. But when they got to be a little older, and I've heard it a couple of times, you, know, you held them accountable, right? But apparently God doesn't do that, because God's not a respecter of persons like you are. And so say the Mormons. Okay, so now we talk, we're talking about punishment of sins. So what is this punishment for sins? Well, that is hell. They do believe in hell. They will call it endless torment. But in their own teachings, they will say that endless does not mean endless. Just like when they talk about the sacrament. Is does not mean is. So Bruce McConkie, we hear a lot about him in these, pod, in these podcasts in his book, Mormon Doctrines, writes this about the punishment of hell. That part of the spirit world inhabited by wicked spirits who are awaiting the eventual day of the resurrection, hell will have an end. After their resurrection, the great majority of those who have suffered in hell will pass into celestial kingdom. The balance, cursed as the sons of perdition, will be consigned to partake of endless woe with the devil and his angels. So Mormons believe that there will come a time where there will be no hell. That all the suffering in hell will be done. And the great majority of the people who are in hell will come into, into the celestial kingdom, which is the bottom part of heaven. This is very similar to Dante's limbo. Just outside hell, just outside purgatory. They really, in this, are teaching the doctrine of purgatory. That eventually the wicked people will have suffered enough in hell to be able to at least get into the basement of heaven. And so Joseph Smith goes into Doctrine and Covenant uh, 19 to show that endless does not mean endless. Nevertheless, it is not written that there shall be no end to this torment, but it is written endless torment against Joseph Smith writes in Doctrine and Covenants 19, 
Nevertheless, it is not written that there shall be no end to this torment, but it is written endless torment. Again, it is written eternal damnation. Wherefore, it is more expressed than other scriptures that it might work upon the hearts of the children of men altogether for my name's glory. Wherefore, I will explain unto you this mystery, for it is meet unto you to know even as mine apostles. I speak unto you that are chosen in this thing, even as one, that you may enter into my rest. For behold, the mystery of godliness, how great is it! For behold, I am endless, and the punishment which is given from my hand is endless punishment, for endless is my name. Wherefore, eternal punishment is God's punishment. Endless punishment is God's punishment. Wherefore, I command you again to repent, lest I humble you with my almighty power, and that you confess your sins, lest you suffer these punishments of which I have spoken, of which in the smallest, yea, even the least degree, you have tasted at the time I withdrew my spirit. So this last part is talking about a time where God withdrew the Holy Ghost from Joseph Smith, and basically he thought that he had been lost forever. And Jesus tells him this is just a, the least degree of what the torment of hell is. But that torment will end. And then it will either be the oblivion of the sons of perdition, or you'll or you will have the basement of heaven to call your eternal home. I'm not sure about you, but I'm not liking the idea that, you know, you eventually work your way out of hell. Because that's the same way as the doctrine of purgatory. You eventually work out all the sins that you've committed in this life to eventually be able to finally get into heaven. Where does Jesus fit into this? He starts it, and that's it. It's like the idea of God being the eternal watchmaker who just winds up the watch and just lets it go and doesn't involve himself anymore with it. And truly and honestly, you and I would be much worse off had God done that. But God is very involved in his kingdom. He is very involved in this world. And it's many times behind the scenes in the things that you don't see and the blessings that are disguised in heartache. But he is still there with us, giving us, and yes, he does punish sin, but when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, the torment for the sin of the world was finished. Those who believe in Christ and his death and resurrection for that forgiveness have the blessing of heaven. Those who don't, have the torment of hell that will never end. The scriptures are very clear on that. And you have to go into the Mormon scriptures and their later abridgments of things to find how that, well, when John talks about in Revelation, well, you know, that's not really what John is saying there. Again, it's just the twisting of words that Mormons love to do. That's it for this episode with the punishment for sin. Next time we'll talk about the atonement and the fact that it is limited and what limits God puts on that atonement based upon what you do. Until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton 
wishing you God's blessings as you wrestle with theology. Amen.